Hi, my name is Brooke Rodriguez. I'm a Taino mother living in Matinecock territory. Mijuxis. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok Two-Spirit. Osio. My name is Mia Beverly. I am from Sand Hill Band of Cherokee and Lenape, and welcome to First Foods. A program made by and for Indigenous people and our allies. Who are ready for a new day for old ways. First Fruits program is produced by Grinding Stone Collective in partnership with Green Feather Foundation and Her Many Voices Foundation, along with important support from community members like you. We have some protocols we'd like to go over with you. Land acknowledgement. We recognize, uphold, and respect Native nations and their life ways above all else as the ruling governance of Turtle Island and Abia Yala. Everyone attending this space must uphold the same. Native knowledge. Lessons learned are not for non-natives to monetize on or repackage as their own. Native knowledge systems belong to the cultural communities they come from and to the guest teachers in our programming. Foraging and harvesting. Always seek permission from tribal communities to forage and harvest. These medicines or foods may be seasonal or being left to replenish themselves. Also respect if the answer is no. Intertribal space. We are all from different nations and regions, so what may be odd or undesirable as food to you might be good to someone else. Respect that and don't insult or belittle. Respect tribal food, land, and medicine sovereignty. Remember that majority of foods are shared by many different tribes, but with different names. Do not try to claim exclusivity or copyright for your own people. It's okay to share the name as you know it. It is not okay to create dissent over a different name. No dissent over blood quantum or otherwise more Indianer than you fighting. Food sovereignty. First people have the rights to hunt, fish, forage, and harvest in their traditional territories. It is unacceptable to critique traditional or contemporary dietary styles as a non-native. Please put any questions that you have in the chat. The last 30 minutes of class, we often invite attendees to come on and interact with our instructors. Disclaimer, First Foods is for educational purposes only. Before using or ingesting any herb or plant for medicinal or culinary purposes, please consult a physician, medical herbalist, or suitable professional. Juxus. Welcome everyone to another First Foods class. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok Two-Spirit that lives in occupied Arapaho territory in Colorado. Uh, tonight we have a wonderful show for you. We 
are having on the topic of grandmother, bones, bodies, and hearts. Tonight's class features Sarah Calvosa Olson, who's a home cook working with indigenous Californian foods and is the author of a forthcoming book on that same topic. With an interest in using both culturally sound and faithfully updated techniques using traditional indigenous plants and animals, her cooking inspires a new look at the oldest foods in California. First Foods program is made possible through partnership with Grinding Stone Collective, Green Feather Foundation, and Her Many Voices Foundation. So we are so happy to bring you a new class and we will turn it over now to Sarah Calvosa. Hi, Yuki. Nani Fishas, Nutkitch, Nani Um, Sarah. Hello, how are you? My name is Sarah, and I am Kuruk, and I grew up on and around the Hoopa Valley Indian Reservation, and currently I'm living on Coast Miwok land in the Bay Area. Um, <clears throat> and I am working in California, indigenous foodways, teaching and writing and doing recipe development that uses traditional foods in modern ways. And I'm not sure if I should go rewind all the way and start all the way over Desiree, like guys, and, or how- Maybe you wanna start with your slides? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and, okay. and start, start the slides, yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you want me to share them? Uh, just one second. I think okay. Brooke is on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, yep, this is about bones, bodies, and hearts. And um, so where I grew up, many of our traditional foodways um, were about acorns and salmon primarily, but we also did a lot of gathering of berries and um, native lettuces and, and lots and lots of mushrooms. Uh, so Recently, I started to research these traditional foods uh, in relation to a change of life. And um, I'm gonna kind of talk a little bit about that, which I don't normally talk about because it's very personal to me. And, uh, but I, I'm hoping that other people will hopefully get some value out of that as well. So how can I um, flip to the next slide? Okay. So, and <clears throat> most women begin to experience perimenopause in their 40s, and that's premenopause. Essentially, you're starting to get some symptoms of menopause, and um, for in, and then the average age of menopause is is about 51.4 years old. Now, surgical menopause is when surgery and not regular aging causes people to go through menopause and it occurs after an oophorectomy. Now, um, I mean, my, in my whole life, I, I have always struggled with my moon and having uh, really intense pain and bleeding. And 
it has always been really bad. And um, a few years ago, and I, and I guess I, I was I was saying this earlier, but m most people with a uterus know how difficult it is to navigate through the medical community when you're experiencing pain, because a lot of times the medical community is not really trained to listen to you and hear you when you're talking about your pain and, and to take it seriously. And I, and that's essentially what happened to me for a very long time. And uh, <clears throat> up until a, a few years ago, when the pain was really just beyond anything that I could handle anymore, I was also experiencing a lot of uh, vitamin deficiencies. My hair was falling out and I was losing a lot of like collagen in my skin and everything. I just was, I was kind of wasting away. And I finally had to go to the emergency room. I actually went to the emergency room several times um, in the past few years. And they discovered that they, I had endometriosis and, uh, and that's when the um, uterine cells are outside of the uterus and they, be, they form these like sticky fibers and they can cause scar tissue and lesions outside of the body and can adhere your uh, reproductive organs to other parts of your body. I had it on my gallbladder and I had it on my um, intestines and I ended up losing an ovary and fallopian tubes and my gallbladder had to be removed and I had it on my regular bladder and um, my uterus was adhered to the pelvic wall with scar tissue. So I ended up having to have eventually a radical hysterectomy where they removed everything, my remaining ovary and my uterus as well. And then they had to do um, like a, an exit, it's called excision where they are also dealing with all of the lesions and the scar tissue. So one of the things that causes endometriosis to grow is estrogen, but estrogen is such an important hormone for women in our bodies. So I am currently on HRT, which is a hormone replacement therapy and a very, very low dose of estrogen and so far so good. And so what I wanted to talk about was estrogen and how important it is and what happens to our estrogen, like what happens to estrogen in our bodies during the change and how we can help support our bodies through traditional foods in this time of our lives. So um, let's go to the next slide. So estrogen, time to find out, it actually protects your heart from heart disease and it protects your bones from osteoporosis. Uh, it preserves brain structure, meaning it um, plays a role in preventing Alzheimer's and dementia and has antiviral effects, which can help for women uh, when they are, you know, when it comes to like getting the flu and things like that, estrogen can play a role in, in helping us recover from that. And in menopause, what happens is your estrogen levels just go way down to non-existent. <laughs> so in that, in that way, we need to begin to kind of help our bodies continue to protect our heart and our bones and our brains. 
And heart disease is the number one killer of women. It doesn't just affect men, which is kind of a myth, but it actually affects women as well. And osteoporosis and, you know, you hear about women breaking their hips a lot and that comes from our loss of bone density. So uh, let's go to the next slide. So I wanted to talk about these traditional foods as medicine going forward. And especially if you're in your forties or late thirties and you're starting to kind of think about how to incorporate these habits, this is a good time to learn how to do that and to learn how to start um, cooking with and using these foods. So um, let's see. I. I came up with a couple of recipes today that use some really like great superfoods that can help us with our bones and keep our hearts healthy and our vascular systems healthy. That's good, Brooke. We could switch it to the next one. And um and uh and our brains as well. So if there are any questions, if there, if anybody has any questions about that or what I've just talked about, we can have some questions. Otherwise I'll transfer over to my kitchen so we can make a couple of things. I'm going to make a squash smoothie bowl and a purple corn and hibiscus punch, which is, it's a Peruvian drink called chicha morada. And I wanted to kind of stick with our theme from last week and use the atole in our, um, in our squash bowl, because it's not just a, it's not just a first food, but it's like, it's a great food all through our lives. So I wanted to incorporate that as well. So I'm going to go over to my kitchen and I'm just going to. I just wanted to say really quick that I think it's really important what you're doing because a lot of the times I was just speaking with a community member about this last week about how horrible my birth went. Not everybody's birth goes horrible, but I think that the issue around um, birthing person's bodies is that we live in a patriarchal world where a lot of the times we're not finding out anything until it happens. So I'm really grateful for matriarchs such as yourself that are in the food you know, food activists and into food sovereignty. And because that's directly linked to bodily autonomy. If anything I'm getting from last class and this class is, is the immense amount of work we need to do to know our bodies and to know the stages of our bodies so that we're not like, you know, suffering in silence. And that is not taboo. A lot of these conversations become so taboo, right? Yeah. This was, a, and this was particularly, it's not something that I usually talk about. It's really personal. And, and after talking with you about it, I realized that there are so many women that are at this, even at this, on this cusp of, you know, perimenopause and menopause, and we don't really talk about it and how we can support each other in that time. And, you know, it's a great deal of community members. And it's kind of an in-between time where you're, you're not quite an elder and you're not, you know, but you're a mother and you, you've got a life and you're, you're still trying to like live your life. But <clears throat> I think that we can support each other through food and, and sharing our knowledge. So, yeah. Um, hey, I, I'm going to go ahead and go over to the kitchen. Okay. Definitely. We'll see you there. Okay.
So Desiree, in your community, do they um, speak about the, the changes of that women occur? I know in my community, because we were kind of like uh, colonized for such a long time, anything around birthing person's bodies or about birth or about becoming a grandmother was really just, um, just not talked about at all. I mean, yeah, there's been a real disconnect um, around the coming of age ceremonies for different times, right? And that's something that my community and myself, like I think we all long for. It's really hard not being in your tribal territory to participate in certain things, even if they are available, which generally they aren't right now because of COVID. So, I mean, people talk about it, but when you're not there, it's, it is really difficult. That's why like Sarah's presentation is really helpful. Right, because Karu, they're not that far away, like Sarah's in Miwok territory now. So, you know, some of those things are easy to transfer. Others are, you know, ceremonial and not for this space anyway. So it's just, you know, one of the things about colonization happens, I guess. Yeah, I think that that's what, like, the, for me, a lot of these classes, what they reflect is just the way that colonization affects uh birthing people, womanhood, matriarchy, rites of passage, and things like that, because of the, the way the colonization came over and, and, and took a hold of our lives, um, a lot of our matriarchs were affected and knowledge keeping were affected. So I'm really grateful to classes like this and, and just having such really strong um, birthing birth workers and, and people come on. This is really just important, but I'm gonna pass it over to Sarah right now so I give you the spotlight. Hi. Hey, Tara. Hi. So this is my kitchen, and um, and hopefully you can see from in this particular area here. There's like we, so I can do a close up if anybody wants a close up of something. I can do a close up there. So <clears throat> uh, one of the first the, the first thing I'm going to get started on is this purple corn uh, and hibiscus punch. So I, I'm going to kind of go through each ingredient and tell you and tell you why it's important uh, <clears throat> and just kind of show you what, I've, what I'm starting here. So I'm gonna turn this on and get it, and get it going while, before I do our squash bowls. But, um, so you're gonna start with, this is like just a great drink to have in your refrigerator all of the time. So you can um, just, you can have it in the morning, you can have it warm, you can have it cold. I like it cold. You can pour it over fruit. And that's usually what I do. And as a way to use all of my pineapple, because I like to use pineapple pills in the, um, in the punch. So the foundation of this is a purple corn and purple corn contains antioxidants. And I guess I should go back, rewind a little bit and tell you why antioxidants are important. So you'll probably hear a lot about antioxidants all the time. And you know why you should why you know different foods that are higher in antioxidants. Antioxidants are molecules that fight free radicals, um, and the free radicals can just like wreak havoc on your body if their levels become too high. They're linked to diabetes and cancer and heart disease. And when you have more free radicals than antioxidants in your body, it can lead to oxidative stress. 
and oxidative stress can damage your DNA, which increases your risk of cancer, and it can also prematurely age you. So good news is that your body makes antioxidants, but you can also get them from your food. And there's a lot of foods that are high in antioxidants. And I feel like this is kind of the miracle of our first foods is that they are all so good for you and high antioxidants and, and, and other minerals and uh, vitamins that are good for building bones and good for your eyesight and your hair and your skin. And, um, and one of those foods is purple corn. So the purple corn uh, contains anthocyanins and that's like a super powerful antioxidant. It's been shown to reduce incidence of diabetes and to lower your blood pressure. Um, and it helps prevent cardiovascular disease. So one of the, and let me see if you can see the purple, see the purple corn. It's like, I have a jar of it. And so one of these, we're gonna make a you know, drink that's based around this purple corn and you might be already be able to see how even just sitting here, not on the heat, it's already coloring the water. So inside this drink, we're also adding um, about a half a pineapple's worth of pineapple peels. These pineapple skins are also um, high in fiber and vitamin C. And they're also rich in manganese. Manganese can um, is a mineral that's a, it's a bone building mineral. So people will always talk about calcium when you're older. You need to have calcium in order to have strong bones and build strong bones. But it's not just about the calcium. It's about the supporting minerals and vitamins that that help calcium build strong bones. And one of those minerals is manganese. And Pineapple skins are rich in manganese that can help your teeth and your bones. And it also contains bromelain, which is uh, good for digestion and your gut health. Um, so yeah, it, it helps with osteoarthritis and cardiovascular disease as well. So the peels of the pineapple, don't ever throw them away. <laughs> if anything, you can use them to ferment and make tapache with, or even a pineapple vinegar. So never throw them away. They, they contain a lot of good stuff. So I have about a half a pineapple's worth of pineapple skins in here. And I put in a cup of dried hibiscus hamica. And um, I don't know if you can see the hamica. It's like kind of dark. <clears throat> but hamica is also packed with antioxidants and can lower your blood pressure and also helps with blood fat levels. So I threw that in there. What else do I have? I've got a cinnamon stick and some cloves. So the and cinnamon is, is also another um, helpful um, spice. So it can imitate the effects of insulin and help regulate your blood sugar. So um, using lots of cinnamon is great. It's good for type two diabetes. So I'm also adding cloves that are high in manganese, which are also like we, like I said before, a bone building mineral. And um, these and cloves are antibacterial as well, which I, maybe you've heard of. Um, my mother used to do this when I was little and my grandmother would 
make clove oil and put clove oil on toothaches or um, things like that to, to sort of help. It has like a numbing agency and an antibacterial agent. So I'm gonna add some cloves and then you just turn this on to a simmer. You stir it all up. I, I put even put half of the core of the pineapple inside here. So you're just gonna stir it all up and put it on at a simmer. So I'm gonna let this simmer for a little while and then talk about the next dish, which is a smoothie bowl. I make smoothie bowls a lot. I feel like it's an easy way in the morning. All you have to do is throw everything in a blender and it's an, and you can you know kind of have a little smoothie bar. You throw everything in a blender and it's a quick way in the morning to get a lot of fiber, a lot of vitamins, all in one kind of refreshing little punch, especially in the summertime when it's hot outside, a smoothie bowl always seems to hit the spot. You can also make your own granolas that use different um, seeds that are really packed with antioxidants and fiber as well. So this, this was something that I had not really realized until I started researching this because, but squash, is incredibly nutrient dense and it, it's with, with a really low calorie count. Um, <clears throat> so that means that you can eat a lot of it and it's still got a low calorie count. It's very filling and um, it's, a, it's just a, it's kind of a superfood in that way. So it's also high in antioxidants and high in fiber and potassium and beta carotene, which is vitamin A and it's good for your eyes vitamin E, iron, um, folate, vitamin C, all uh, those other antioxidants that are really good for your skin. Um, and it also stores in your freezer really easily once you've roasted it. So you may not have need for a whole entire squash, but um, once you've roasted it, you can keep it in your freezer and you can chop it into cubes and just use the cubes in your smoothie bowl, which is what I do. So this is a butternut squash and you can use any kind. You can use pumpkin. I, I used a, um, a, what is it called? I used a different kind of squash, Kubota. Kubota squash, I think is what it's called. And it has an edible skin in the squash that I use, but all you're gonna do is roast your squash. You cut it in half. And I like to roast mine with, some maple sugar. So maple sugar, you can either roast it plain or with the maple sugar, or you can like add the maple sugar in afterward or do both. It's, you can have maple sugar is, is great. It's lower glycemic index than regular sugar. And it's even better than agave syrup because it contains so many good vitamins and minerals inside the maple sugar, I wish you could smell it. <clears throat> I got my maple sugar from Passamaquoddy maple, which I don't know if you can see that, but Passamaquoddy maple has great products. They have good prices and I really, <clears throat> I really like them. So the maple sugar and the squash, which I'm not gonna roast right now because I already roasted it. <laughs> but I just like to sprinkle the maple sugar or maple syrup. That's also fine too. You can cook it on your squash. 
anyway, um, so maple sugar high in manganese, it's good for healing wounds and building bones, like we said before about the manganese. Um, it also contains an antioxidant called Quebecol, uh, it can, which can potentially uh, prevent breast cancer and ovarian cancer and cervical and colon cancers. Um, and it also lowers your risk of blood sugar spikes due to it being a lower glycemic index. But it also smells really good and it smells really sweet. So it's one of those cool foods that you don't have to use very much and it smells sweet. So it almost like tricks your brain into thinking you're having something sweeter than you really are. So definitely recommend um, trying some maple sugar if you like that kind of um, flavor, which I feel like who doesn't? So you're just gonna roast your squash until it's soft. Usually takes about 45 minutes to an hour and pull it out, let it cool, chop it into pieces and put it in the freezer. Here's what it looks like after I roasted it. Yeah, this is like the Kubota squash. It's just a, you can see how, you can see how orange it is. And this particular squash is great because like I said before, you can also eat the peel, which is high in vitamin C and fiber. So let me see. Let me just get my, get my squash out of the freezer so we can make our bowl. You can also buy squash already, you know, pumpkin that's already been pureed. That's fine too, if that's what you have. If you have like a can of leftover pumpkin from the holidays, you can freeze that and use it as well. We're not that picky. So this is the um, frozen, frozen chunks of squash, which Let's see, I made, I made a bowl this morning. So it's like only half bowl, but so it's kind of like we're making a little bit of a pumpkin pie here. And let me see. So you, in the morning, you've already got your squash. Hopefully you've prepared it over the weekend or something and you've already got your squash already made. And um, you can just take things out of the fridge and, or the freezer and just start putting them inside. So I'm gonna, I don't wanna make that one. So you don't need a whole lot. That's good for me for squash. All right, so the next thing you're gonna to add to this is a plain goat's milk yogurt. So I don't know about you guys or the rest of your families, but most of my family is lactose intolerant and cannot really eat cow's milk dairy, but they seem to do well with goat's milk. So, um, and especially right now, it seems like there's like the yogurt aisle is just like out of control. There's so many kinds of yogurts, but, um, if you can find a goat's milk yogurt or even a plant yogurt or whatever is your, your favorite kind of plain yogurt. The cool thing about goat's milk yogurt, if you can find it, is that it's not just high in protein, but it also has a lot of calcium even and more bone building minerals um, like magnesium and potassium and phosphorus than regular milk. And it's also got 
um, healthier digestive enzymes. So I recommend the goat's milk if you can get enough. Interesting enough about goat's milk, uh, the molecular structure and level is most similar to human breast milk. So people who are lactose intolerant, really it's more like the tolerance of dairy, like cow dairy and milk and stuff like that. So it's fascinating. Yeah. I feel like I, my husband must have eaten my yogurt. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh, I know. He's not above that. He's done that to me before in demos where I'm looking for something like, where is it? And he's like, oops, my bad. He doesn't realize that not everything is for him. So, <clears throat> um, so this is just a Redwood Hill Farm goat milk yogurt, just one little container of it. Um, yeah, it has six grams of protein. And it doesn't have that um, goaty goat milk kind of smell or flavor. Because sometimes goat milk can be a little weird. It can be like a little bit funky. But in this yogurt form, it like kind of like ferments the weirdness out of it or the funkiness goes away. So uh, it ends up kind of having like a pumpkin cheesecake kind of a consistency and flavor. So after you've added the squash and the yogurt, this is where I also like to add the atole. And what I found out about atole was that it's high in antioxidants and, and it's good fiber, which aids in digestion. And fiber as you get older, like becomes extremely important. <laughs> suddenly you start to think more and more about fiber and fiber it's not just for digestion but it's actually really great for your heart and your cholesterol levels so any way that you can get additional fiber into your life the better so babies and elders like they have this in common they need good fiber so um it's also high in iron, which babies also need and elderly people as well. So, and good for healing. So you can add like a tablespoon of atole. And this atole has, um, it has, I believe cinnamon. What is it? Yeah, it's like cinnamon and um, coconut sugar and masa, so that's it. Cinnamon and coconut sugar are the only additives. So you could make your own. Um, and that's it. So you're just gonna mix this up and it's gonna get loud. So, hey, Evan. So I'm gonna have my son just mute this for a second. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna blend it all up in the blender and show you what it looks like when it's done. And if you need to add a little bit of milk or water into it to thin it out, that's okay too, but it's just kind of what it looks like there. Brooke, I appreciated your comments that uh, maple is matriarch medicine. I love how that is in your nose too. Like you really feel like you're getting something special. If you've ever had a spoonful of maple syrup or something to that effect, oh, so good and nutty. I had this maple syrup infused with pecans recently. 
my partner still talks about it and we've been out for like months it's still like we're longing for this maple syrup it's really good i didn't know it was so beneficial yeah i didn't know that either it had a lot of good things um in it it's like almost like the perfect and it's sugary you know it's sweet so who doesn't want to have like tasty delicious medicinal foodstuffs um so we do have a comment in the chat from Wendy. She's asking, where can you get hibiscus? So I know for me in, in our area, we definitely go to any South American spot, any Caribbean spot to get hibiscus. Um, I, I usually shop at Oaxaca markets, so indigenous Mexican uh, stores and stuff like that. But Des, where do you get your hibiscus from? We actually go to a local, um... Uh, it's a, uh, what's it called? It's a grocery store, but the lady is from Colombia. And so she always has some sort of, it's in with the aguas frescas, right? All right. Hey, oh, <laughs> sorry. So, all, right, no. all finished. So mine has little green flecks in it from the peel. Oh. Just put it in your bowl. I just want to say, Sarah, I have a funny thing that this recipe is going to somehow become a trend. I'm just putting it out there. It's going to become the new avocado toast. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so... So once you, and it really, I know that I've been talking a lot, but it really doesn't take very much time to make. You throw it, you throw in the yogurt, you throw in the squash, the maple sugar, the atole, mix it all up. And it really only takes a few minutes when you have everything on hand, which I usually do. I have like a smoothie bowl basket of stuff that has all of the things that I like to put in a smoothie bowl sometimes. And I can do with the kids and lay out like a smoothie bar, but I've got all kinds of dried fruits if you can see, but I've got dried fruits and I've got um, chia seeds, which we're going to use in this and dried blueberries. Um, I wondered if chia was going to come into the mix. Chia yeah. is an indigenous Californian food. Super, food. super food. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So it's really up to you what you want to put in it here. I also usually like to add some red turmeric, which I forgot to put in Ooh. time. I totally forgot, but <clears throat> I think that's okay. I'll add it a little bit here at the end and stir it in. So turmeric is another super food, um, a super herb. The cool thing, it contains mm. curcumin, which is another powerful antioxidant, which is, but it's good for increasing your memory and preventing age-related brain disorders like Alzheimer's. And uh, it boosts brain-derived neurotropic factor and can improve the endothelium, which is the lining of your blood vessels. And that helps, to, that helps function to protect against heart disease. Uh, and it's good for arthritis and inflammatory issues. So, um, and I, I also read that it's potentially as powerful as Prozac in treating depression. Oh, wow. Yeah, it has a lot of really wonderful, um, really wonderful. Let me just put a little, 
So you can mix this in in the blending stage, you know, when you're when you're putting it in the blender. But I'm just going to sprinkle a little bit on here just to get that. But so at this point, you can kind of dress up your smoothie bowl however you want. I put chia on it, which is uh, <clears throat> a yeah California indigenous superfood, which is super high in fiber, calcium, manganese, again, magnesium, phosphorus, all of the carbs come from highly soluble fiber. So it promotes this feeling of fullness. So that's about a tablespoon of chia seed. Uh, and these are some dried dehydrated blueberries. And these are also high in fiber, manganese, vitamin C, vitamin K. Um, so blueberries also have the highest amount of antioxidants of any of the fruits. So it's like the king of the antioxidant fruits. And these are just simply dehydrated blueberries. Um, so the anthocyanins in blueberries also have an anti-diabetes effect. And the and all of this information that I'm telling you, I, I have available for everybody to download, like with the recipes and all of the information about each individual ingredient and what this individual ingredient contains and is good for. So you all can have access to that. So we've got the blueberries, chia seed, we've got a little bit of turmeric. Um, and I'm also gonna add some bee pollen, which is not everybody loves bee pollen, but I do. So I'm gonna add a little bit of bee pollen. And when you are going through the change, bee pollen is really great. It can lower blood cholesterol levels. It's good for your arteries and circulation. It prevents lipids, which are fats, from oxidizing in the body. Uh, it's good for your liver, liver. And it also eases menopausal symptoms like hot flashes, fatigue, mood swings, low energy. Bee pollen is great for that. All right, so, and then I like to grate a little bit of nutmeg on top. Nutmeg is good for circulation and um, again, high in antioxidants. So a little bit of nutmeg and then maybe just like a little bit of maple cinnamon sugar on top as well. Why not? And that's that. I don't know if you can see that, hopefully. Oh. So it is very chilly and cold. So it's nice and cooling, especially if you're having, if you're feeling warm, it seems like once you turn 40, you're just hot all the time. It doesn't even matter. It could be like the dead of winter and you're like sweating. So the great thing about smoothie bowls is that they're always cooling. And, uh, and then you have all of this instant nutrition and in just kind of one meal. And um, yeah, so I don't actually have anybody here to eat this. Usually my husband is the one who like fats clean up for me on all of these dishes. <laughs> he comes and swoops in and, and eats it, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost like it has, um, a consistency of like a pumpkin-y 
cheesecake kind of. Ooh. And then it's got all these different textures because you've got the chia and if you stir it up and let the chia sit, the chia will become hydrated and you'll it'll be softer and it'll take on more of a pudding-like texture. So it won't turn into necessarily into like squash soup, but it'll have more of a pudding texture. And then you can add all sorts of fruits. You, if you don't want blueberries, you can add cherries or blackberries, any fresh fruit. You could add a banana, dress it up with, it, with whatever you've got and whatever works inside your family's like grocery budgets and systems. So that's that. The other thing in the morning that I was making to go with this was this chicha morada. And it's been over here kind of bubbling away. And you can see it's really getting I don't know if you can see that, but it's really getting purple. And so you're gonna let this, usually we're gonna let it boil for about a half an hour and then you're gonna strain it and then let it, let it simmer even, and then pour it back in and let it simmer. So I'm gonna actually let this simmer for a little bit longer because I like it really, really dark purple. Mm. So I'm gonna let this simmer for a little bit longer before I strain it, but I'll show you guys. I just want to make sure that I'm not going over on time. So, but I'll show you guys what it looks like. Okay. So, oh yeah, I have fresh pineapple. I can throw fresh pineapple on my smoothie bowl too. It's like the kitchen sink. Yum. I could eat pineapple all day. I love it. So the way that I like to kind of prepare my whole little breakfast here is put some pineapple in the bottom of a glass. And you can also freeze this and or put frozen pineapple chunks in there to make it extra cool. My gosh. This looks, I'm, I'm so hungry. You're making me starving. Oh no. <laughs> so you're just gonna, I don't know if you can see it, but it's really beautiful purple, dark, dark purple. And it smells like cinnamon and it's like, just smells cinnamony and fruity. And then I'll throw some ice cubes in it. Mia's over here making some serious faces about how delicious this looks also. I see you. So. <laughs> it looks so good. <laughs> right, that just looks like it's gonna nourish me. It looks nourishing. It is very nourishing. Oh, so that's your breakfast in the morning. And, know it, and if you do a little bit of prep beforehand, then really you've got your, you've got your like corn, drink all ready to go and you just have to pour it throughout the week and it, the smoothie bowl really only takes a few minutes once you get everything mm -hmm. prepared and it doesn't even take that long to prepare it necessarily just maybe like an hour to get yourself prepped for the week and then that's that I don't know this light might be a little bit too bright but I think what's really also just it's just imagine waking up to all those colors and that's your breakfast. Yes. You know, the 
quote unquote traditional Euro-American diet. You have like pancakes and egg, eggs, bacon and toast. Everything is brown. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a beautiful indigenous way to decolonize breakfast. This is medicinal and it'll help you get through so many different stages. Um, and I don't even think this is just grandma medicine. I would, I would eat this. I would give this <laughs> right? You're a future grandma, you know. <laughs> and it is a good way to know how to nourish your grandmas too. So maybe like, it's just a way that you can nourish them as well if they're needing food and something easy to prepare for them or if they struggle with cooking they don't necessarily you can make all of this for them in advance and bring it to their house and they can just have it in the refrigerator so it is a good way to help take care of them as well but yeah anybody can eat it I think and that's a good rule of thumb is like to have colorful food the more colorful and spicy your food is the better it is for you and they'll have more antioxidants. So, yeah. Could you, uh, we actually have a request from the chat. Uh, could you tell us what the recipe is again so that people who are taking notes could, could write down a little bit? I see that Brooke is sharing it in the chat, but maybe could you just read it out since folks in the chat on Facebook couldn't see the link? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I'm, and I can email it also to anybody that wants it. Uh, I, it's, um, so for, for both of the recipes. Yeah, if you could just do a really brief overview, that would be appreciated. Okay, so with the smoothie bowl, you're going to have one cup of frozen um, steamed or roasted squash, and you can roast that squash by sprinkling some maple sugar on top, and then you can put it in your freezer. I like to cut it up. I put showing that this is cut up into chunks. So it's easier to measure out a cup if you've cut it into chunks. And, uh, and some of the squashes, you can eat their skins. So maybe just make sure that if maybe you have an edible skinned squash like I had, which was really great, it's just extra fiber. So you've got one cup of the frozen squash added with one cup of plain goat milk yogurt. Um, maybe a teaspoon of turmeric, um, a tablespoon of maple sugar, a tablespoon of atole, and then blend those all up. If you don't want to use the turmeric, if it's too powerful or too strong for you, then you can take that out and incorporate it into a different dish if you'd like, but turmeric is a great food. It can be a little bit powerful though. So you blend it all up until you've got a smoothie bowl. And then on top of it, you can pretty much do whatever you like, but I like to add chia seed for all of the protein that's in the chia. Um, and I put about two tablespoons of chia seed and bee pollen and dried blueberries. And then I grate a little bit of nutmeg and cinnamon on top. And I also added some of the fresh pineapple that was left over from this chicha morada. And so that's just how we make the bowl. Does that, is that good, good instructions? <laughs> so, um, and then for the chicha morada, it's uh, 16 ounces of purple corn. So that's basically like two cups, two cups of purple corn. I have them on the cob here as well. And they're like dehydrated purple corn. 
and half a pineapple's worth of the pineapple skins. I mean, you can always double this recipe and make it in like a huge pot. I just wanted you guys, which is what I would normally do, but I wanted you guys to see it. Like I would normally make it in a large pot and add all of the pineapple skins and more corn. Oh, wow. And then um, I drink a lot of beverages throughout the week. So, so you're gonna um, put the corn and the pineapple skins along with a large piece of cinnamon and toss that in there. Oh, you know what I, I kind of forgot to mention afterward is the lime juice, sorry. Um, so you have, so in the pot, you've got corn, pineapple skins, uh, cinnamon. I also put in a cup of hibiscus because Jamaica is packed with antioxidants that can lower your blood pressure and your blood fat levels. And I put in some cloves and four quarts of water. And then, so the, I put in about six cloves and you simmer this for about 30 minutes and then you're gonna strain it and pour it back into the pot and cook it for another 30 minutes. Then you're going to add a couple of limes, like the juice of two limes, and sweeten it if you like. I used a little piloncillo that's like this big. It's just a little one. And because you don't want it to be too sweet, but piloncillo is, is great. It's like, it also contains like the minerals. It's not processed sugar. So it's got more of a molassy, molasses-y kind of flavor but you could use maple sugar in there as well. So you, once you've done that, you add the lime juice, the peel and seal, and then you stick it in the fridge and chill it. And it's good to go for a whole week. Awesome, thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to make that, especially the drink. It oh, just good. often strikes me when looking at what our ancestors ate, it, it comes across as very bougie now because some of these things are harder to find, right? It's not actually bougie, but for whatever reason, you know, we have associated it with being kind of fancy. Um, I know I feel spoiled whenever I get a meal that's made of all indigenous foods and you just come away feeling really good. So I really encourage everybody to Make sure that you grab one of Sarah's multiple books um, and make some of these because you'll probably wind up feeling pretty good too. Yeah. I like that you had non-processed sugar options too. That's something that's going on in our house. And really with hormones and, you know, I'm 39, I'm getting there. Uh, you have to look at how processed foods really do impact our hormones. And so I'm, I was glad to see some options beyond that too. Um, yeah. There's a question, where can people order one of your books? I, I, I'm still working on my first book right now. Okay. I'm currently working on it. So it's okay. due, it should be out next year uh, in 2022. Where can people find more information about you if they wanted to follow you? Uh, my Instagram is probably the best way to keep up with me and that's the fry bread riot 
<laughs> on, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I post a lot of the foods that I'm cooking and working with. And it's very seasonal, usually, like what's in season. And I'm usually working with foods that are, are in season and local. But I also do a lot of work with um, different communities and and their traditional foods as well to help develop some recipes because I mean, beyond acorn soup and smoked salmon, we do not have a lot of information about our traditional foodways here in California. Yeah. And, you know, I, an acorn soup is, is fine and, and everything, but I have teenagers and they're just not gonna eat acorn soup every day. <laughs> they just don't really love it. So that's really kind of how it started for me in doing this food work was finding ways to appeal to their palates and to keep us gathering, like keep us out there gathering, keeping us, you know, accessing these rhythms that, you know, of stewardship that we, that we should be, you know, feeling anyway. So it was a way to keep us gathering. And, you know, I probably, I was just thinking about how I spend like 10% of my time gathering and 90% of my time processing and preserving the things that I've gathered. And mm -hmm you don't necessarily need a ton of things. You know, you don't need a ton of food, gathered food. You, you just need enough for your family, but if you know how to preserve it throughout the year, it can really uh, help with food security and uh, food sovereignty. So that's, and that I, Megan uh, Baldy was teaching about preserving methods as well. She's like amazing, so. She really is. If people yeah. missed her class, um, you can find that actually on the First Foods Facebook page. We've got that up. Uh, also, by the end of this month, we'll be uploading the last two months worth of classes. So if you prefer YouTube, we'll have that available for you too. Thanks for shouting her out, Sarah. We, we're big fans over here. So, so um, Malia left a comment. She says, I'm on a weight loss journey now. So we don't include too many sweeteners. I lost 130 pounds since June 1, 2019. We can have the squashes and other greens. So I'm just wondering if you think doing the smoothie bowl without sweeteners would be okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you, are you able to, um, are you able to have fruit? If you are, fruit can be, I mean, and squash in and of itself is sweet, especially if you use a butternut squash or um, the candy roaster squash, the Cherokee candy roaster squash is an heirloom squash varietal that is indigenous to North America. And it is one of the sweetest squashes naturally that I've found. And it makes great smoothie bowls and pies and they're also like this big and they're massive so you could they last for a really long time <laughs> thank you for sharing that yeah um we we've i've actually cut out fruit as well um in my maintenance part which i'm getting really close to um i'll be able to add some of these different things back in which i'm excited about um but yeah, uh, I, I just had for lunch some squash. So I'm already thinking like, how can I do this for tomorrow morning? And at three o'clock today, Hawaii time, I go to our farmer's market and I, I always see um, 
a lot of the farmers are, you know, having a lot of the squashes now. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. And, yeah, I'm going to definitely try it out. Great. Okay. Thanks, Malia, for your comments. Well, let me check the Facebook and see if we have any other questions. We have about, uh, looks like 15 minutes left. If there's any comments or questions folks have for Sarah, please drop them in our chat or on our Facebook, we're also live. Um, but otherwise, we have been really talking about indigenous economies and what food means in that context. That's something that Brooke and I are often um, discussing and looking at but i just wonder you know what do you think when like i just wonder do you barter right do you go and you gather and you barter and if so how do you navigate that thing where um like when i go i like to gather wild mushrooms i live in a place where that's something that we can do uh, but there's always somebody who wants to buy my dried mushrooms and i'm like that's not what I'm doing here, but do you do anything we could trade for? Like, I'm interested in those things. So how do you navigate that knowing one is a resource, but two, not wanting to overgather and participate in capitalism while simultaneously having a skill set that people need, are willing to pay money to learn from? Like, how do you, what do you think about economy and foraging, I guess is my question. I think about that a lot because <laughs> I do get that a lot. People that are send me messages like how much for a pound of acorn flour? And, and I'm like, realistically, I, I, I can't, I refuse to even like participate in that <laughs> because there's no way, because it's not just, it's not just the, you know, I think it's because they're, they're only putting value on the finished thing, but really the acorn flour is like, you know, time and memorial of, of knowledge leading up to me. And then me and my work, as far as like the gathering and, you know, the time that I spend with my family, there's just no way to put a price tag on it. And not only that, but it takes forever to process eat corn flour. It takes a really long time. So it's, it's impossible. And it's all, I think the difference is that for us, when it comes to things like this, it's about a relationship. We have a relationship with what, what we're gathering and where we're gathering it. There's a relationship there and you cannot exchange money for a relationship in that way. But if I have like a pound of acorn flour, let's say, let's say I were to sell it and it's like, you know, $200 a pound. <laughs> but if my friend has like eggs, in fact, I just got two dozen eggs from my friend. She has eggs, but she doesn't have acorn flour. Trading acorn flour for eggs for me is a good trade. There's a relationship there. And it it's like, it's equal almost because she's raising her chickens. She loves them. She takes care of them. She has a relationship with them. So it's really more about relationship and how we go into the way that we trade with each other, I guess. It's even more, it's even beyond bartering. It's more of like, 
we're trading relationships and it has to be meaningful to you that the other person has a relationship with what they're what they have to trade right so it matters to me that i'm trading for mushrooms from somebody who is you know indigenous and is you know developing a relationship with the place that they gather and the way that they gather their mushrooms and the way that they dry them and store them and you know all of that so i think that that's how i look at it it's it's still really hard because i i mean i get messages every day from people asking me can i buy this can i buy that and it's just like i can't really i can't i and i have to go through this explanation of how this is really more of a relationship and where i grew up in hoopa it was a major trade hub and people were coming from all over to trade and it was about developing relationships with each other and trust and you know trading you know things that you can only get where we live with things that they can only get where they live and it's it's because they are all it's all in relationship so if that yeah. answers your question a little bit it does Hoopa is very well known for still being a trade hub just in its own kind of way these days. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a question that says, are there any teachings about producing various flour? Pamela Chris John says, I make white corn flour, but that's it. Um, about various types of flour, like acorn flour or, I mean, mesquite flour. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of information about how to how to make different flowers out there. Well, um, if there's something in particular that you're interested in, I definitely recommend steering away from white flour as much as possible. And part of the work that I do is about incorporating acorn flour into our everyday diets. And sometimes that means I'm just substituting one cup of acorn flour you know, for, for one cup of white flour. So maybe the recipe calls for four cups of flour, but I'll put in one cup of acorn flour and only three cups of the white flour. And that's still one less cup of white flour that you're eating. So if you think about things incrementally like that, you start to make a little bit more progress. You start to become with the way, be familiar with the way that these foods work and the way that they behave in certain situations like baking or braising and, and yeah. So um, there are different types of flour. So uh, if there's anything that you're particularly interested in, I would recommend just, just reach out to me on Instagram. I'm pretty good at my DMs. Okay. Uh, Mia, what was your question? Oh yeah, kind of going back to, kind of going back to um, what you talked about with um, food being a relationship in of itself. I think like many relationships in our lives, I think the relationship we have with food is also very dynamic and it changes, especially how we look at it. And um, I was also looking through your feed. It's beautiful, by the way. Um, so I can't help but notice you also appreciate the aesthetic and you're obviously very conscientious about like how you place it and all that sort of thing. So I was wondering how your relationship with food may have changed, transformed, or stayed the same, especially focusing on indigenous ingredients? It's constantly evolving. I think that's how it is when you are decolonizing your diet. It's, you can't expect like to do it all at once. 
it's something that you should expect to do in incremental ways. And the more you, I, I, I always, I guess, I would say like, I start out with like one ingredient and I will learn everything there is to know about it. And like acorns, for example, we've got so many traditional creation stories about acorns. So you're incorporating storytelling, you're, and then all of our basketry. And um, so you're incorporating tools and art, storytelling, language, learning all of the, like we have like, 50 words for acorn in our language. So then you start learning the language and it's, and then you go out, that's just, and then you go out and you start to just observe because, you know, native people are the first observational scientists. So then you go out and observe and you see what's going on and you start to access the rhythm of an oak tree and see one year, maybe it has a ton of acorns and maybe another year there's not really any acorns and you start to understand these rhythms a little bit more than you're gathering and and then you are interacting with your community to learn how the best way it is to process these, process the acorns. And then you're interacting with your elders and it becomes a holistic cycle. So I would say like, that's how it's always started. For, that's how it started for me since I was a kid growing up. And now, especially I see that, that holistic context when I, when I teach my own children. So it has to be, it can't just be, let's go out, let's get the thing, let's bring it back. It's, it's everything. So that's how you build a relationship with it where it becomes part of you. And each day I feel like I'm learning something new about something around me that I hadn't thought of before. And it deepens my relationship with these foods and with my, um, you know, plant relatives and animal relatives, it feels like it deepens my relationship with them and my under as I understand more about them and also deepens my relationship with my community because I can share what I've learned with them. And it gives me an opportunity to be in service of my people, which is, I feel like the whole point, like what we should all be living for is to like be in service of our people and our relatives, so. Hopefully that answers your question. Oh, definitely. That was that was wonderful and really beautiful. And again, I love how it touches upon the idea that although we are talking about food, it really does affect every aspect of our lives and history and future. So that was great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I see we have another question from Jackie. Um, going back to... Um, uh, substitutions for the flower. Um, they ask about what about blue corn flour? It would depend on what you're doing. So I feel like if you are interested in using blue corn flour, if that is something that is meaningful to you, that is accessible to you, then what I would recommend doing is really just experimenting with it. Like playing around with your food is extremely indigenous of you. So I would recommend giving it a shot and maybe starting out with just a little bit here and there. And, you know, so maybe you don't want to go half and half on a recipe or, you know, I don't know. I would just recommend because it is a gluten-free food. And if it's in flour form, you're just going to have to see how it behaves. 
when you start cooking with it. And um, yeah, I would recommend just kind of starting with a little bit at a time and then bumping it up. And then you'll get to the point where it'd be like, mm, this texture isn't quite what I was, what I'm used to. I'm not ready to like go the full, you know, gluten-free flour type of route. And, um, but yeah, I, I recommend messing around with it, like play with your food. I like, you know, what kind of what you're touching on is when you're talking about being in relationship with food is really about um, consent, right? Because if you go and you for if you forage and you take too much, I can only speak to mushrooms lately because I'm obsessed. But if you go and you take too much or you uproot some of a mushroom, um, one, the area will let you know and will not have mushrooms for you in the future or anyone else which is awful lot like people right so like you start to see our shared relationships in some of this and so when you have a relationship with food or a, our food systems the understanding that you gain about yourself and our people it just gets exponentially deeper and deeper actually starts to shape your worldview quite a bit um you know, in the ways that we grant one another agency, for example, right? Like I talk to the mushrooms. I'm like, thank you so much. You're growing so good. I, you know, you're going to nourish us in the future. That was something that some of our first foods teachers uh, last season really reinforced was like being in positive relationship with the foods, even that you're going to eat. And like, you know, you got to encourage your plants and stuff. So you don't want to go just uproot something or just take, 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 take. We all know what that's about. And like, we don't have to engage with that as we're foraging or as we're like gathering foods. It, there's maybe a form of, you know, self-soothing in that where we're learning agency with living beings, living things. And, and it does help with like interpersonal stuff too. Yeah. And gratitude. There's so much gratitude. When you're really in relationship, then you have so much gratitude for the cycle, for that, for that life cycle and the way that it returns to you here. And you can really kind of feel what it must have felt like to have the salmon return every single year. You know, even just a fraction of that, what it feels like to have something return every year that you've tended and that you have cared about and are grateful for. So it, it's, yeah, it's a good relationship. Mm -hmm. We have a question from Pamela. Uh, Pamela, would you like to join us and ask your question? Yeah, I was just wondering, like um, uh, when you mentioned purple corn earlier, I was wondering like what variety that is and um, yeah, just what variety, like where are you finding it? I have some uh, vegetables. Well, we have in California. We have some vegetables. Where are you located? Um, I'm actually in uh, southern Ontario in Canada. Either you froze oh. or I froze. Sorry. Oh, in Canada. Okay. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes, I hear you. It could. It could yeah. be me. It was my. It was my connection. Um, okay, so if you're in Canada, that I'm not sure about. I know that you can order it. I mean, on the internet, if there there are plenty of farms that have it. If you have any um, like Mexican grocery stores, or you know, like 
That's what I would go to. I would go check that out because that's where you'll find it. Or it's South America. Okay, yeah, like we just, oh, okay. Yeah, because I mean, we have a lot of varieties of corn. Like, um, like we use a lot of white corn, but, um, and I've also um, uh, like lived on the Navajo Reserve. So blue corn was really um, like prevalent there, but of course that's Arizona, right? Or the Four Corners. Um, so yeah, I was just wondering when you said the variety of purple, I was just, you know, wondering. Yeah, um, I am lucky that I have a lot of different types of grocery stores where I live. So I live in the Bay Area near San Francisco, so, uh, and Oakland. So I, I have a lot of variety in that way. And in California, yeah. we have a lot of uh, really good growers, people that are growing really cool stuff like purple corn and green nice. corn and all sorts of stuff if it's possible for you to grow corn I would definitely recommend giving that a shot and trying to grow some corn um, that's another yeah for sure yeah that's like another piece of it is that we bring we need to bring these things in to us as well sometimes because we can't not all of us have access like you're saying like you don't have access to those particular foods so maybe mm -hmm. bringing something into you like um, red corn is good and blue corn would be good. There's like the different glass corn that has the different colors, uh, anything mm -hmm. that's bright and colorful in that way. So yeah, for sure. Well, thanks a lot. You're definitely uh, shift helping to shift my life for uh, the healthier. I love the, the work that you're doing. So thanks. Thank you. Okay. You're muted, Brooke. I would say, and it's not like we haven't traded before. We have corn routes literally from, from South to North America. Mm -hmm. So Pamela, we can definitely send you some seeds if it's something you want to try out. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. get in contact with you. Um, if you could just probably just direct message us uh, in this little chat, you just do the scroll down, the little arrow down button and uh, just message First Foods and we'll try to get you some corn seeds so that you can have your uh, chicha morada. And I just wanted to thank you, Sarah. Really important, like we're talking about grandmothers and we're talking about matriarchy and we're talking about food systems and ecological eating. And um, I think what's really, really important is is the way that all of these things merge into the, what is the indigenous relationship, right? And I get asked this question a lot by non-natives. What does it mean to be indigenous? And I feel like this class is really small. It's like past, present, future. It's connectivity with the land, mm -hmm. um, ecological eating. Uh, a lot of the times, especially, you know, from the veganist community, we might get um, policed a little bit harshly by them. Um, but I think it's a lack of understanding that the indigenous diet is literally paying attention to the ebbs and flows of our regions and our territories. And, and also understanding to eat seasonally and to eat whole foods and, and paying attention to those things and, and just decolonizing in that way. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak more on ecological eating as a matriarch and as as, as the grandmothers are in our nation, encouraging them to kind of share their recipes with us or invite us over to dinner and all this other stuff. So just wondering what you have to say about that. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's exactly the, like the whole philosophy about eating in season. It's also because those, generally those foods that are, are in season are like foods that we have like co-evolved with. 
and and they are especially nutritious for us in that season. But I think it's also important to learn how to preserve these foods and carry them throughout the year because that is important for food security. So I know that uh, Megan has talked about this before uh, and one of her things about food security and how, how frustrating it is that even though we're all so connected by technology today, that we are less food secure than we were a hundred years ago. And that is, I feel like that is another really crucial piece. It's vital that we get out and learn how to gather, but it's also vital that we know how to preserve these things and use them to supplement whatever, you know, our foods are that we, we really are kind of, you know, forced to eat in these colonized diets. So like, it's almost impossible to completely decolonize your diet, but it is not impossible. It is really doable to, to like make some inroads with that. It is really easy and doable to like make some roads and do one little thing each day. Even if it's just drinking like one little drink or you're making one smoothie bowl or you know, you bake cookies with acorn flour or something like that, you're, you're accessing that and you're having a connection in that way and a relationship in that way. But also just getting outside if you are able to, but that's also a struggle for a lot of people is to, to get outside and, and to be in their traditional land. So if it's possible, I do recommend being outside and, and just kind of, I don't know, just kind of developing that relationship if possible. No, I definitely think that that's the way to be. And yes, food preservation is so important. So when you're going out and you're getting these bounties and stuff like that, and, uh, just having a, we, I think we had James Calavosa come on, no, Calabasa. <laughs> I didn't have your last name by accident. Whoops, James Calabasa, he came on um, last year. We had a whole month of Native Pantry and it was really just informative. A lot of drying techniques, canning, pickling, uh, fermentation, and all of this leads to really good gut health. I was reading an article uh, by anthropologists, you know, it could get kind of skeevy. They took gut samples from elders in the ground, which they shouldn't have done. But what we did learn from that uh, thing was that the gut bacteria was immensely different to today's diet and a lot more, um, I guess what they call bacteria flora mm -hmm. was it, it had like 40 different or like some crazy amount like 100 different strains that we don't have today in, in our diet mm -hmm. and um you know going back to that ecological diet and going back to the ferments and to the the dried stuff like your west non that we learned from um sid whiting and all of these traditional foods it's just like it's right at our reach right it's like we've had these answers all the time uh, all along but, you know, like Desiree was saying, and we've got, actually gotten this uh, comment before from a participant where they didn't know the foods that they were seeing in like these high-end restaurants and stuff like that were actually indigenous foods. And I think that that's what, it kind of pains me a little bit. It makes me really sad, but I think that that's why, the, you know, First Fruits, this space is important for us to share the knowledge so that we understand that these foods are not for the rich. These are foods that are in our, our, our blood lineage. It's these foods know us for millenniums and we know them. 
And so they work well with our bodies and they're the plant nations and the animal and fungi nations that we know um, for a really long time. And just having access to that, whether it's knowledge or access to the land or the food is really important, I think, for just food sovereignty as a whole, but just also kind of having that pride in these foods that we see all around that have become so like high in yield, expensive, are, you know, basically our pantry. That was what we, we grew up on uh, ancestral-wise. Yep. Yep. So I don't know if you want to speak to that or if we have any more questions, but we are coming to the time. But um, yeah, I just really thank you for coming here, Sarah. It's been a really good show and I learned a lot. I didn't know so much about the nutritional aspects of those foods and I've eaten them for a while. And I'm just like, wow, that's, I didn't even know they were packed like that. Mm -hmm. I know. And I didn't even get into chilies. Those chilies are amazing too. There's so many. Well, I have a comment. Um, firstly, thank you, Sarah. Um, I really look forward to your book. Brooke, I'm glad you're here. Um, the combo of you, me, and Mia is awesome. So I just wanted to say I'm glad you're back. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. And thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and chat with everybody. And it's nice. Even though I'm really nervous, I always get nervous. You don't seem nervous. <laughs> but if people want to follow you, they should go on your Instagram, the Fry Bread Riot. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mia said it's awesome and is, what's it called? Hashtag aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and I really, and I'm also happy to send people samples of acorn flour or a sample of purple corn or a sample of something if if they just want to give it a try I feel like that's also part of it is just demystifying it a bit because it is one of those things like the they're bougie foods you know so demystifying these foods and getting people to actually feel them with their hands and smell them and touch them and kind of just that's just the the, the first step for a lot of people so I'm happy to help them with that first step into, into that food way. Yeah, that's, that's right. really I just, generous. I just want to make a, a comment. Sarah has nettle tortilla bread on her Instagram. <laughs> I saw that. Oh my God. Uh, can, you know will you share your screen? Can we see it? Can we look at that just really quick? That sounds epic. I'll be honest. I've never heard of that at all. I didn't even know that was a thing you could do. Me neither. So I'm just, here's some nettle powder I, I so these are I don't know if you can see that in there but dried nettles that um these are just dehydrated nettles that I blitzed in my blender and turned into a powder you can use it to dye fabric you can do it you know you can use it for so much stuff but you can especially use it in tortillas or in you can make a drink a tea never it's great. And it's also super high in antioxidants. I'm going to have to learn about that one on the list. And I just made beet tortillas the other day. Mm -hmm. so. I'm growing some beets. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I don't really eat them though. So maybe I can sneak them into a tortilla to 
to trick myself into eating them. <laughs> the best. So what I did was, so you can do, if you have a dehydrator is dehydrate them and turn them into beet powder. And beet oh. powder is way different than eating beets. Cause I don't love beets either. I feel like they kind of taste like dirt, but yeah. like, I, mean, I like dirt. Yeah. It's like sugar dirt, but it, I mean, I'll eat them, but <clears throat> if I put them in a powder, then you can, you can use them to, and you can put them in your smoothie bowl and like dye a smoothie bowl pink. Mm -hmm. um, or like I did put it in tortillas. I'm really Just into these powders I've been making. So I have all of these like mushroom products now, I'm drying mushroom, making mushroom powders for like soups and stuff. And I know some growing celery and I'm wondering if I could put like beet and celery like powder because I like to drink just juices and stuff. I could probably sneak it in that way too. Yeah, that's a great idea. You could powder celery, I'm sure. I make celery salt, but I have a bunch of dehydrated mushrooms too. I mean, I've got like jars and jars of dehydrated mushrooms that I like to turn into mushroom powder and then mix with salt and you can make mushroom salt and like finish your salads with them. I can do that. Also, I did that with nettles. You can make nettle salt. So Brooke, you're growing mushrooms too, right? We gotta start making mushroom salt. Yeah, I have oysters and Filipinos, and I think next I'm gonna grow some lion's mane. But I do have um Sarah's thing. So let me just do a oh, yeah, let's do this. Real fast. I also ordered a, a lion's mane block so we can grow some together. That'd be Ooh, sweet. That's good. I know mushrooms are oh. made. I know. Can you guys see it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Look at the. I love the edible flowers. Mm -hmm. I just always feel so fancy with edible flowers, even though it's not. And people look at you like, "Why are you eating out of the front yard?" <laughs> like it's part of. <laughs> just kidding. Whoa. That is serious talent. Yeah, there go. Look, it goes the, the nettle tortillas. Oh my God, look, look at, at that salad. Oh my gosh. That's actually a smoothie bowl of granola that I made in between the tortillas and the salad. Yeah, I'm like it looks it. like a whole garden. Like, and do you make your own pasta? Yeah, there's a, there's a picture of pasta that I made with edible flowers. So you can take your flowers and roll them into your pasta and make windowpane pasta. And what? Yeah. And if you, there's like a few pictures in this series, Brooke, if you like click on that. So I made that into ravioli with morels, with um, like just with gathered mushrooms, you can make a morel and um, I think it was a wild leek, wild leek morels. Oh, and fiddlehead fern, uh, ravioli. And then I made some into fettuccine. And, I'm sending this to my mom. And then before that, I actually used the nettle powder to make a pappardelle pasta. You like mm -hmm. to dye the pappardelle green right there. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's talent. <laughs> The Sarah's house, like to this week. Can we just go to Sarah's house for something? I was literally about to say that. I didn't want to be like weird, but like, <laughs> caravan. 
and one of their and there's a nettle risotto as well that um and you could do that with beets also with the beet powder mm, you could do a quail risotto with some of that pasta oh. yeah oh look at these fry breads this is cute <laughs> that was a valentine's day indian tacos that's so clever <laughs> well good for you Please let us know when uh, when your book comes out. I think we're all now suddenly dying to, to know <laughs> what some of your recipes are, especially after seeing them on your Instagram. Brooke had sent me some stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, cool, she's got some talent. But now I'm just like, oh my gosh, even visually your work is gorgeous, hold it. I know, but then everybody will see it's all super easy. <laughs> it just looks bright and fancy, but it's actually very easy. So, yeah. lean in the color. Mm -hmm. Well, so um, Mia put something in the chat, which is new. This is a little bit of a housekeeping item. If you're into classes and you like them, or if you have feedback that we need to know, you know, or you got something to say, please use our link that she's put there for our survey. We're starting to... Um, survey folks we want to make sure that the programming that we're presenting to you is what you're after we're community-led and navigated so if there's something that you want to uh, see in programming please also let us know but yeah so i think we we just have a very few minutes left sarah is there anything that you would like to say in closing or anybody you want to shout out or Anything we should look forward to? <laughs> um, let's see. Right now, I'm just doing a lot of work on my book, and this is probably going to be my last engagement really for a little while, so I can just put my head down and focus on that. But I, I definitely am here for you if you want to connect in some way with your local foods or with your traditional foods. I'm here to help you with that and share what I know with you. So please do not hesitate to reach out and, and I'll help you connect there. So, yeah. Thank you. Brooke, Mia, you ready to wrap us up? Yeah, I just wanna also put out there that um, Sarah is on Clubhouse. There's like a whole Indian presence on there. So I've been meeting really great, like matriarchs and, you know, just, really great people on there so Sarah's book uh not book sorry I'm, I'm, I'm already thinking about the book I'm like, I gotta get this book but um, <laughs> she has a club indigenous food club um so definitely something you would want to check out and I also want to highlight today Miali uh she helped to sponsor some of the programming and I was just really grateful for Miali she actually also has a club called throat singing on Thursdays, I believe. Um, every Thursday around eight o'clock. Yep. Yeah, I'm spotlighted now. Sorry. I was like in the back, you know, incognito voice. Also, but, uh, you know, Brooke is on Clubhouse too. You know, if you're into hanging out with Brooke, which is very entertaining if you ever get into a clubhouse room with Brooke. It's good stuff. She'll teach you a lot. I'm not joking. 
jump on over clubhouse is really becoming like kind of the spot for native programming there's a lot of really interesting conversations going on and um there's a club it's called the grinding stone that you'll find myself and brooke and a number of other folks doing all sorts of programming monday night we have indigenous motherhood hosted by brooke I'm working on a natives in crypto thing. That's a little bit of an aside. It's bad for the planet, but you should be educated about it anyways. Um, yeah, come over, you know. We have a lot of uh, positive comments, Sarah. You know, um, people can't wait to get your cookbook. Um, people are going to go look for everyone. Follow us. This has been such a wonderful class. I'm super engaged and I'm excited. I'm ready to go like make some dinner from my own garden and see what I can do. Cause it really is, you know, little things every single day, yeah. right? So I just throw a little bit in, grow some onions. They're the easiest thing in the world. Just throw them in, you know? Absolutely. One thing, little, little things every day. So. Absolutely. And then these recipes that we made today, I have available. So if you don't have them or if you can't, you don't see them in the chat then just let me know and I'll send it to you. All right. Well, we'd like to thank our partners, Ibex Puppetry and the Grinding Stone Collective and Her Many Voices Foundation for the ongoing support to make First Foods happen. We're a 501c3 now, so if you'd like to make a donation, we got you. Please coordinate with Brooke on our Facebook page or the group or the, all the many ways to get a hold of us. Um, other than that, be good to one another. Be good to yourself. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> Hi, thank you.